Los Angeles. Don't miss the excitement of LA Kings playoff hockey at Crypto.com Arena. Tickets for the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs are on sale now. Visit LAKings.com slash playoffs to secure your seats today. You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. All right, we are gathered here at uh, Toyota Sports Performance Center following practice on uh, May 7th, following Game 3, uh, the day before Game 4 in the first round matchup between the Kings and Oilers. Joining me, Zach Dooley. How are you doing today, Zach? Jesse? Day between games three and four of a that's playoff right. series, so could be a lot worse. Doing pretty well. Be, that's right. And Jack Jablonski, how are you doing today, Jack? Uh, I'm great, Jesse. It's uh, it's a new day. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, last night debating whether or not to do the post game from the game, and then Todd McClellan came in and gave us that 31-second uh, comment. You know what? We can do this really quick tonight. I can summarize it all up for you. We can all go home. Um, we weren't any good. We're really disappointed. We got trapped playing their game. You can ask me about individuals. I'll give you the same answer for all of them. They weren't any good, and we have to regroup tomorrow. Grunny didn't play because he had an injury. Anybody have anything else? Good night. And that sort of sealed the decision for me. Um, So we're going to do it today uh, with the benefit of hearing from Blake Lazat, Andre Kovacar, and Todd McClellan after practice this morning. Uh, Zach and Jack. Ooh, that rhymes. We've done that before. It does. It just struck me. Um, Anyway, (laughs) there are a ton of challenges for anybody in our position to talk about that game. The biggest one, I think, Zach, you addressed in your post-game questions to Alex Edler and Phil Deneau, which is it's a two-to-one series deficit, but the last two games have a 14-to-two goal margin. Right. Um, So it's very – it would be very easy – to focus on the mountain of negative experiences and miss the reality, which is it's not ideal, but it's not a a tremendous deficit. It's easier said than done to just say, oh, well, it's a 2-1 series, right? And ignore the fact that the last two games were 6-0 and 8-2. But from just being around a team for the majority of a season, hearing how they react to a 9-3 loss in Colorado versus, say, a 3-2 overtime loss, it's almost that these kind of games are the ones that you have to put behind you faster because there's not you're not going to look at the tape, look at one critical mistake and say, oh, well, it was that that cost them the game. Everything, you know, they were, they were outplayed in almost every area of the game. So at this point in the series, there's not a ton of to be gained, in my opinion, from dwelling on 8-2. Um, you have to dwell on 2-1 and you have to know that you play again tomorrow at home. That game starts 0-0. If you win that game, it's a 2-2 series, and everyone's forgotten about 14-2. Todd was asked, uh, I don't even remember the question this morning, but his his answer was essentially, uh, when you win in the playoffs, it propels the mood and everything forward. And when you lose, the opposite is true. And there are a ton of other series going on that are 1-1 or you know, 2-0 or whatever. There's I think there's a couple 2-1 series. And yeah, nobody from 3,000 miles away looking at the Boston-Carolina games I'm not paying attention to what happened in the games. I'm just looking at NHL.com and seeing, oh, Carolina's up 2-1. to one. <laughs> Okay. The Kings won game one. The yeah. Oilers won game two. A series after three games can't be tied. Someone right. has to be up 2-1. Right. Someone has to be down 2-1. Uh, 
And yeah. in this case, the, the Kings are down 2-1. There was no no outcome other than 2-1 at this point in the series. Once you split the first two, obviously it could have been 3-0 either way, and it's not. Um, but at this point, someone had to lose game three, whether it was an 8-2 game or a 3-2 game in eight overtime. Like Someone had to lose that game, and someone has to enter game four needing a win to tie the series heading back to Edmonton. Jack, any thoughts on the challenge of focusing on uh, the smaller obstacle rather than the larger well what sticks out to me is you talk about how todd has mentioned that you know when you lose it's you know negative momentum negative confidence especially in the way that the kings did uh and when you win it propels you and for the kings to uh lose in the fashion that they did in games two and three that's that's where it's going to be very interesting to see you know the character or the ability to put those games out of the back of their head like zach mentioned and so they've got a challenge ahead of themselves but again you mentioned two to one it's so simple in terms of looking at it uh as a two to one series but again in reality they have to get over the fact that uh the way that they're playing right now isn't working so you know are they able to go back to the way that they finished the regular season winning six in a row and play the way that we've seen them play through the majority of the season um especially in the last two games against edmonton in the regular season and even in game one you know for checking being aggressive, causing turnovers. Uh, those are the little things that I think we've seen slip away from the Kings' identity in the last two games. Um, and ultimately, you know, Todd uh, nailed it on the head. You know, he's got to uh, bring together a group that obviously isn't in the right headspace over the last two games and and uh, be able to, you know, try to fancy this uh, journey up to a 2-2 tie after tomorrow. And Blake Lazant, uh mentioned a lot of the things you're talking about, Jack, and he, you know, and, and Phil sort of implied it last night in his post-game comments, and Todd sort of said it's, you know, he actually gave us a little bit of a Yoda quote. Alright, I'll give it a try. No. Try not. Do. Or do not. There is no try. When <laughs> when uh, he said, you know, I think Chadworth was a Jim Fox who asked him um, is there a balance between... Mm-hmm you know, stopping what Edmonton's doing and doing what the Kings are doing. And Todd's response was essentially, there is no balance. We have to do what we do or we're not going to succeed. There is no balance there. We either do what we do or we don't. And we just witnessed what happens when we don't. So there's no balance. It's do it or don't. With that in mind, uh, we're going to do what we have done for the previous two post-game reports. We're going to jump into my notes. These are highly condensed, highly edited, because uh, I was taking fastidious notes in the first period, hoping for a, a, a fun game where we Suddenly could go back. Suddenly the interesting and, yeah. play at 2.30 in exactly. the first isn't quite as <laughs> yeah. relevant. You know, after and my thoughts game, about but... Hannah Davies' uh, national anthems. Not, Which was great. Yeah, yeah but not great. necessarily she belted it out. We can get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah. That's note number one. Yeah, exactly. Belted the <laughs> Yeah. Jules, I know you're making your first appearance on the post game here, uh, or post season post game here. Uh, we've started multiple times with warm ups, so yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. which is funny because you guys didn't even watch it because you weren't there. Well, that's no, true. But in the previous, yeah, fair, fair. All right. Well, I was there last night. All right, so we're going to jump into it. Um, so right off the hop, uh, matching penalties on Kulak and Lemieux uh, remains to be seen if it will pay off mentally. And the reason I phrased it that way. Um, was in game one, the Kings played their game, but in game two, the message was stay out of the box. And I think that they, you know, did a reasonably good job of doing that, but at the detriment perhaps of 
of momentum handed to Edmonton. It felt very much to me in the start of Game 3 that the Kings were trying to make a point of being a little bit more in Edmonton's face, and I wasn't sure if that was necessarily uh, going to be a sound strategy earlier in the game. That's fair, and obviously that's the the sequence that led to the game-opening goal, four-on-four goal. Um, Kings had three skaters caught off by a four-on-four situation has on paper at least, and in practice favored Edmonton. Um, but, but I think I agree. Um, and it kind of ties back into your larger point is that's not necessarily how the Kings have played this year. They're not a noticeably physical team in the common definition of the word. They do the things that Todd McClellan talks about when he defines physicality very well. Um, and, and I think you, you made a good point to, to make note of that. Does it benefit them? And in this instance, no, it did not. Zach, I think you bring up a great point there, and that's you know the definition that you know Todd and the Kings have of physicality. You know they're not a run you through the boards, but they're a in your face, stick plays, you know, pesty physical team. And you know, obviously, we saw Brennan Lemieux take that early coincidental minor that led to the four on four goal for Edmonton. Um, you know, it's it's the little mental errors, and I'm not talking about the goal itself, but the mental error of getting caught with three forwards or three you know, Kings, uh, you know, deep in the, the offensive zone, especially when you know who the other guys are on the ice. And that was the issue because, you know, it's one thing to be aggressive on a four and four and by all means you should be because there's open ice and opportunity for scoring. But when you have a guy like Leon Dreisaitl and a guy like Connor McDavid on the ice together, you know, it's just a, a mental note that you want to be sure that you've got two guys back at the very least. And, and that was the next note that I wrote down was penalized by aggression, get caught with too many men up ice, Oilers strike first on the rush. And the phrase that Todd has been using a lot, uh, I don't know if it's lately or I've just been noticing it lately, but is game management. And Jack, you're right. You want your scorers to be aggressive. But in that moment, um, that was, I would argue, poor game management, not just not good situational awareness. And just struck me as odd that the aggression that I was talking about when being curious if it would be a benefit was a more traditional aggression. And this was, you know, a different kind of aggression. Anyway, the next note was Sean Dursey trying to do too much alone in the slot, misses Gabe Velarde wide open. And the reason I noted it was sort of tying back into the previous note about Adrian Kempe going in on that rush and and being caught. Sean Dursey made a nice play, but it wasn't the best play. Um, he had Gabe Velarde, who was an adept puck distributor, wide open, um, and I'm just not sure that he saw it or capitalized on the opportunity. We're we talking about the toe drag into the slot where he got the shot on goal. Yeah. Now I think you might say that a, a criticism even in game one was that the Kings passed up too many of those opportunities where you have the puck in the slot, mm-hmm. you have an open shot and they pass that up. I think we saw it a few times in odd man situations. They tried to make that extra pass. It didn't work. Um, so I, it's kind of damned if you do damned if sure. you don't. Right. But, but it's still an observation of, you know, maybe he didn't see the play that we did from, from up above where you had that other guy wide open. Um, and you wonder what was the higher grade opportunity? guess we won't know. Yeah, we won't. Jack, any thoughts on, uh, again, to me it was sort of a similar uh, symptom, which is I think the, the I think the balance might have tipped too much towards uh, being too uh, aggressive, for lack of a better word. Uh, I don't necessarily have a comment on the, the specific play because I agree with Zach in a damned if you, damned if you don't um, scenario. What I do want to comment on is the fact that Gabe Velarde's name is mentioned this early in the game. Yeah. He's an, he's an early, in, he, he was a late 
uh, addition into the lineup. But what I thought was extremely valuable, and Zach and I were talking about this during the game, was that line was very, very noticeable in the first period. And, you know, things changed, obviously, with two goals, uh, you know, within, like, I think the first seven minutes of the second period, and the game was quickly... Uh, out of hand in some way shape or form into the second and the third but that first period when things were still competitive and and the kings were pushing um in that first period the kid line with kapari and kaliev with velardi was extremely noticeable and uh, in my opinion the the best line creating the best chances in that first period so um something to take note of to see where they go from there but uh in my opinion for gabe velardi to be a factor after an addition, I think it was a, a, a you know one of the positives that you can try to take out of a game like that. Yeah, so we're going to go slightly out of order from my written notes because the next note after the one that would come next was Gabe Velarde looking good down low. And yeah. you're right, Jack, Jack. And it wasn't just Velarde. It was that whole line controlling play below the goal line in the corners. And, I mean, on the game as a whole, uh, their line was on the right side of the ledger. For sure, and Todd McClellan said as much this morning. I thought they gave us some really good shifts. Um, good below the goal line, pretty good on the four check. Um, yeah, they, they they were, you know, they didn't bleed chances against or anything like that. They were pretty solid. They're three big guys. Like, you don't really think about because they're skill guys, but they're all big yeah. bodies who can play the cycle game. They can control the puck along the boards. That's the stuff that we see and focus on. And then the important part that Todd McClellan focused on from his point of view is they didn't bleed chances the other way either. It's not like they were, you know, all in one end, all in the other. It was they weren't giving up much defensively. And they also had some really good shifts um, below the goal line and along the boards, had some good maybe grade B chances in the first. Yeah, which is extremely important against a team like Edmonton, who's just looking to get it and fly. So for a young three players who have zero playoff experience in an atmosphere that's obviously intense, for them to, to limit Edmonton from taking, you know, odd man rushes or turning the puck over and letting them go, uh, I think that says a lot about the, the first period specifically that they had, but as a game or as a whole that Todd obviously mentioned there. The next note I wrote was uh, this was precisely the kind of power play goal that you cannot give up. It doesn't matter what the percentage is on the kill tonight if the PK gives up an early goal to make it 0-2. Oilers up early. And and the reason I left it in when we were doing our uh, note purge was just to dwell on the idea that percentages really don't matter. Um, Timeliness. Yeah, it is timeliness. And unfortunately in that game, the way that game was going and with the importance of that game, that goal carried a lot of significance. It did. And it's interesting because I thought the Kings had a decent first period. It was certainly their best of the three. On the Agreed. Time. Yeah. Um, so the power play goal was tough and they didn't give up a five on five goal in the first period. It was a four on four goal and a five on four goal. Um, and I think there was a lot of talk in the morning about special teams, about improving that area. So to give one up in the first I think maybe hurt a little bit more than had they gotten two kills and maybe given up the third one, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree completely, Zach, you know, it's, and it's, 
it's not just to give up the first, but the way that the game ended in game two and to give up an opportunity, you know, to get that first kill would have been great just for the momentum and, and even just the, the psyche of the team to be able to get that first kill would have been big. So um, it, it gave you that, okay, here we could go again type of feeling when you've got two goals and one coming on the, the special teams um, that the Kings have obviously been very aware of and, and obviously that we continue to touch on. The next note I wrote uh, leans heavily into the kind of conversations that me and my father generally have and have had in the past while watching the games. And that was a very early power play. Kings already down 0-2 about, what, halfway through the first period at 8.41 of the first period. And I just wrote, this power play decides the game. Bouchard to the box at 8.41. And, you know, the reason I did that, like I said, is because for decades when my dad and I were watching games – a moment would come up and it'd be like, all right, well, if they don't score on this power play, they're missing the playoffs, you know, and it'd be like game 34. Yeah. <laughs> right? And you're yeah. just like, you know, it's total hyperbole, generally speaking. But I just felt like at that point in that game, you don't know how many power plays you're ever going to get in a postseason game. Um, and we had just seen the Kings give up an, an untimely power play goal against. Uh, it felt to me very much like they needed to score there. And uh, it was a, as I wrote, uh, the next note, uh, not bad, but not good enough. It's one of those where it didn't lose you momentum. You didn't really have much at that point, but it, it didn't score. And that that's obviously the end result that you need from the power play. They were finally able to score later in the game, and we'll get to that. But timeliness of power plays, as, as you guys were just talking about, certainly would have changed the flow of the game at that point rather than when they got it late in the second. Same as you could have said in game two when the Kings had two power plays in the first it wasn't awful in those stretches, but you just wonder how the flow of the game might have changed had 0-0 been 1-0 Kings with one of those goals being on the power play in game two. You wanted the same thing about last night. What's 2-0 versus 2-1 if they're able to get one of those power plays to go? Uh, I like to think I provide more context and, and value after Zach talks, but he hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> All right, well, we'll start, we'll start with you. Jack and I are just uh, on the same page here too often. Go to yeah. him, so then I have nothing to say. Yeah, I was just going to say, gonna say yeah. unfortunately, I can just physically turn and look at Zach. Yeah. All right, well, Jack, we'll start with you uh, on this next one. Um, the next note was, uh, it, it's going to sound questionable, but I think my interpretation of it now, as I'm reading it, is going to be positive. So the next note was, good shift from 48 and 23, Big hit leads to a turnover, leads to a shot on goal from Lazat, I believe. Um, but I'm still not sure that 48's agitation is helping or hurting. In the final analysis, I think it helped. I think that line controlled play when they were out there. And I think we saw 46 and 48 playing the kind of game that the two of them, that we're used to seeing them play. Jack, we'll start with your reaction to that. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, 48 and 23 to a smaller degree, you know, they play a different type of game than the rest of the Kings offense. And that's, you know, that's more in your face, physical. I'm going to look to hit you. I'm going to look to make your life painful. And, you know, when 46 and 48 have been paired together and we hadn't seen it as much recently, but we saw the spurt for about half the season where they were a phenomenal, you know, quote unquote fourth line at the time Uh, they were able to, you know, Lazat was able to, cause turnovers and be able to get to the net while uh, 
Lemieux was able to cause turnovers physically instead of being a, you know, quote unquote, pest with his stick. Um, So they play different games, but they both feed off of each other. And Brown with that, you know, third piece on that line, you know, he's kind of a a little bit of an in-between where he can physically punish you. And he's obviously got the brains and the, um, the, the, the ability to use the stick a little bit more because of his, um, you know, ability to put the puck in the net consistently throughout his career. So for that line to be able to have a little bit of a, a combination of pestiness physically and, you know, with their stick, uh, I think it worked, especially in the first period. And they caused turnovers, especially down low, which has been a constant, you know, key that, you know, you and I, Jesse, have talked about throughout this series. And for that to be an identity um, that's successful for the Kings, that line has to be the, the leader in that category, which we did see from time to time uh, for the majority of that first period. I remember looking at Jack during the game, and I think the quote I used was like, this line's banging. Like yeah. they're, they're just banging bodies. You yeah. know? And that's kind of yeah. a shorter version of the analysis that Jack just gave is like, this line isn't going to score that two-on-one McDavid dry sidle goal. They're going to try and play physical. They're going to try to keep the puck in the offensive zone. A lot of it was along the boards. They didn't generate a ton of, you know, high-grade scoring chances. But they, again, like we talked about with the young kids, they weren't the line really that hurt the Kings either. They just played physically, played within themselves, and they just tried to to bang bodies and maybe get those one of those weird goals with a sharp angle shot that creates a rebound and a goal in tight because that's where Dustin Brown makes a living. That's where Lemieux can make a living. And then Blake Lazat just just did Blake Lazat kind of things, and they just they just banged bodies. You, you, you guys ready for a wild stat? Uh, Brown played eleven minutes. Lazat played thirteen thirty. Lemieux played twelve eighteen. Uh, this is just Corsi for small percentage, small sample size. I get it, but uh, Lemieux seventy seven percent, Lazat seventy eight percent, Dustin Brown seventy eight percent. In a game where the opposition scored eight goals, none of them were on the ice for a goal against at even strength. Volume yep. shooting didn't hurt you. Played physical. Um, obviously, it's you know the Kings need will need some production from the bottom six to win this series. But at the same time, if your third or fourth line goes out and doesn't hurt you at all defensively, you can be okay with that in some games too. And last night, it's hard to say they were a problem. I, I mean. 26 chances for seven chances against like that's they were the they were they were the best line Um, the third and the fourth lines were the the two best kings lines especially in the first period and uh that's great to see you know obviously there's there's the downside of that when the bottom six are your are your best uh two lines but that's exactly what you wanted to see out of both of those lines and for us to touch on both of them each group did what they were supposed to do and you know for the most part were able to control um you know the majority of the play which was in the Edmonton Oilers off defensive zone so the next note uh was um oh, that's we already talked about that line I guess I'll just jump straight to the end of the first period. Uh, the note was out shooting 19 to seven, but the heat map shows not many dangerous chances. And I'll combine it with an earlier note with seven minutes left in the period. They were out shooting them 14 to six. If they play like this the rest of the way, you might win. The, uh, th- I looked at Zach at this point, And when, when we gave up that second goal, uh, shots were six, five LA. 
And they put on an, you know, a, a clinic and a flurry of offensive zone time and shots for the rest of the period, which, as you say in your notes, if they continued to play like that, that was going to be a recipe for success. Uh, unfortunately, that's not how it played out. But, you know, there, you know, Zach mentioned earlier, like this is, you know, burn up the tape and never look at it again. There might be some positives in the rest of that first period that you can take and say, you know, this is the way we need to play because they did have Edmonton on the back of their heels for a little bit of that rest of that first period. I think the first period I could sum up in one stat, and it's that in all strengths, the Kings won Corsi 35 to 17. The Kings lost high danger chances five to three. Yeah. And that in some ways is a compressed version of what the Kings have been this year. They shoot for volume. They get pucks back. They shoot for more volume. Eventually, those turn into better chances. Um, But they aren't the team that makes the extra pass for the great chance all too often. So they dominate 2-1 to in terms of attempts. But when you do that and you are almost 2-1 to the other way in high danger chances, I thought that was a pretty good summarization of the first period. Late in the first period, uh, another employee of a co-worker of ours uh, sort of playfully said to me like come on like one of these has to go in where's the puck lock and my response was unfortunately it doesn't like (laughs) you'd like to think that the odds will stack in your favor and eventually one of them will go in but i've seen too many games they they had some odds some (laughs) awe moments like there were some looks um it wasn't that pretty chance but they they had some good Mm -hmm. chances but it I think the stats kind of speak for what we saw. The two games in yeah. my mind are have been way closer than fourteen to two. Is that do you agree with that, Jack? The high danger chances is the the concerning mark. And you know, you guys have both touched on it, but you know, you look at the heat maps of the shots, the Kings are are struggling to get to the front of the net with the puck. And we saw the the recipe in game one with, you know, Trevor Moore opening the series with a goal from, you know, a pass from behind the net from Alex Iafalo. Second goal of the game, pass from behind the net to uh, Alex Iafalo. So we've seen the recipe of success and what works. Uh, unfortunately, whether it's the adjustments that the Edmonton Oilers defense and, you know, team have made, to prevent the Kings from being able to to create offense in the areas that the Kings have been able to be successful throughout the year um, have been it, that's that's what you know you hope that they can kind of turn the tide and whether that's getting the puck deep or just getting the puck to the front of the net with bodies uh, that's where the fourteen to two score doesn't surprise me because that's where the Kings have been successful the whole season. All 10 goals for both teams last night scored in the home plate area. Um, all, yeah. all eight of Edmonton's, you know, they basically make the shape of the outline of that home plate. <laughs> and if you don't know what we're talking about, it's from the goal line to the hash marks uh, at the edge of the faceoff circle. Um, and that's all of them. So then uh, moving on to the second period, because that was uh, the end of the first period. Not many notes to talk about in the second period. Um, in fact, just one. Uh, the goal to make it three to nothing early in the second period, I that was it for me. I decided that the game was essentially decided at that point. Now, by the end of the second period, it was five to two, and looked like if the Kings had a strong third period, perhaps it would be interesting. Um, unfortunately, uh, Jack, it was not. 
Yeah, well, uh, you know, I keep mentioning Zach and I were talking throughout the game, and, and Jesse, you have one you have one degree of separation between uh, <laughs> you and I and Zach, and you know, we were looking at each other because the Kings started on the power play in the third. Um, and that was another one of those, you know, if they don't score, it's over type of ultimatums that you and your dad have. Uh, because if you can get a power play goal or get a goal within the first two or three minutes, it's a two goal game and you've scored the last three goals of the game. And that just leads you to giving you, you know, literally with depending on the time, 10 to 15 minutes to get another. And then you've got a six on five opportunity at the end of the game. And uh, unfortunately they weren't able to muster up anything in the third period. And, um, you know, for that third goal to, to come in the fashion that it did. And then the fourth goal quickly after, um, you know, the energy was out of the building, the belief with on the, the bench, you know, who knows how much it was there at that time at four zero. Um, they make a goalie change, um, which, uh, you know, to be seen on, on the, the future, but you know, you hope that, uh, at least getting those two goals and in the fashion that they did both in front of the net, one on the power play and one on even strength can give them a little bit to work off of, even though that, uh, you know, things didn't end the way that we all had hoped. Zach, the, the three goals at the end of the game there, <laughs> we've, we've talked about late goals that really don't change the outcome of a game, that, but that just hurt mm-hmm. all your percentages, which is, again, one of the reasons I'm trying not to focus on percentages. But, I mean, like, what, were either the last two goals for Edmonton power play goals? I don't I, They actually uh, weren't. They were three even strength goals. Okay. But those three goals given up hurt Cal Peterson's, if you're just looking at the numbers. But, I mean, he was keeping them... Not that they were in it, but he he had, he he had like, strong stretches for a, for a long time. I think he had two on McDavid, the one from point blank range in the second, the breakaway yeah. in the third mm-hmm. of like he, he wasn't yeah. at fault. Right. And if yeah. you look at the goals that went in, it was, you know, Nugent Hopkins on the broken stick where he broke a stick on the shot, changed the yep. course of the shot, as Jack and I were talking about during the game. <laughs> How we get it. You yeah. guys like each other. Yeah, we, we talk. <laughs> uh, you're not invited. Um, but then it was, you know, he won the center lane drive uncontested goal. And then I didn't even see the eighth one, but it didn't matter, right? Like by that point in the game, once they got number six, um, the Kings had a nice flurry in the first half of the third to where you're like, all right, if they could get one of these to go, maybe it's an ugly one. We have an interesting game. Once it went to six, two, maybe even a little bit before that it was, it was done at that point. The other ones, all they did was like you said, you know, turn an 18 of 20 effort for Peterson into a 16 of 20 effort for Peterson, not his fault. No one's fault. It just is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to take a look forward to game four. Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup. And you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at getjackblack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. Bad calls, dirty slashing, we expect a little bull on the ice. But you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages. Looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated, we call bullshit. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. 
Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to route.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking. All right, uh, Jack, it occurred to me uh, as Game 3 was about to start that I had not asked you to make your predictions <laughs> for Game 3. Um so rather than ask you to make predictions for game four, which I'll ask you to do tomorrow, I'll instead ask you what you would like to see or what you think we need to see from the Kings in the first period of game four against Edmonton. Uh, no, no, no goals allowed on the penalty kill. Um, I think that's extremely important, especially you talk about the timeliness of things. Um, if if they give up uh, the first opportunity that they surrender in terms of being on the penalty kill, I think that isn't necessarily a backbreaker, but that's going to hurt. Um, it, otherwise, you know, you look at the ability for teams in this playoffs who lose a game and then make the adjustments and are able to respond. You, know, you have to expect that the Kings are going to make a push, especially early with the energy um, and obviously the, the feeling of a new game and new life. Um, I, I would hope to see their ability to get the puck to the front of the net and, and maintain bodies within that home plate that you mentioned. Zach? I think it's turning your opportunities into some form of offense. I think that if you look at the three games – Certainly two and three, the best period the Kings played was the first period in in both of those. Yeah. They were both six goal losses, but it, it wasn't a six goal loss kind of first period. It was zero zero in game two. It was two zero down in game one, but neither of the goals came at five on five. So I think it's going to be key for the Kings, as they did in game one, to turn that five on five puck control, even though they weren't getting to the high danger areas, to get something on the board. Um in the first period, I think that's going to be important. And what Jack said is obviously spot on too, just for the, for the perception and for the penalty kill for sure. I'm going to sound a lot less articulate than both of you. Um, <laughs> goals. It needs, they need to score and they need to, in. yeah, they need to come away from the first period with a lead because Blake Lazat talked about how good Edmonton is. Uh, coerce was the, one of the words he used. And I thought it was a great word. They're very good at coercing their opponent into playing their kind of game. And, Minnesota education. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and the Kings can't can't play that game against Edmonton. They, do, they just don't have the horses um, for it. And it's not their identity. It's not their structure, et cetera. So uh, they need goals. Um, it's as simple as that. Uh, oh, we took a break. We came back. And now I just don't know that there's much more to say, <laughs> say about that. The train's running out of steam. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of the stuff we learned this morning. Um, Victor Arvidsson, Zach, it sounded very much like will not be back in game four. Yep. Todd, Todd kind of, he gave us the, the 95% more yeah. or less. He said he won't, won't be in for game four, but said he hasn't consulted the training staff just yet. You never know. Um, but I think at this point, you can't plan on having him for game four. If he's able to go somehow, outstanding. You work around that because it creates that line once again. But you can't bank on having him. Um, so you have to find a way to get it done without him. And uh, Carl Grundstrom was less certain, but still sounded like he would not be available. Practice today, um, full practice. Um, I got the sense almost the other way. It sounded okay. like he might be available, um, So which is good. He plays a very direct style of play. 
thought he was solid in the first two games. Um, but at the end of the day, like you got to win with what you have. You have to find a way to win with what you have. And, you know, Carl Grundstrom, a nice piece. I think if he's healthy, he's going to be in the lineup. Um, but w- whether he's in or out, um, you need the other players who are in to find a way to get it done. The Kings have the pieces to win game four, whether those two are in or not. And they have to find the right formula with the pieces that they have. Uh, I'll ask both of you guys the same question, Jack. I'll start with you. And let's not dwell on alternatives. Let's just treat this as a yes or no question. Heading into game four, down two to one, knowing what we know, all the things we talked about, what lines were effective, which lines weren't. Uh, Jack, how many lineup? Well, no, that's not a yes or no question. Would you significantly alter the lineup? I, I hate the non-alternative. I don't like the word significantly, but I, I would alter a few things in terms of just whether it's fresh blood or it's, you know, changing the look of some lines that have struggled. Zach? Yes. Um, I guess it depends how you find define significant. I, I, yeah. just, I don't um, mean like four guys out, four guys in. I just mean, <laughs> would you go with different combinations? I think I would yes. go with different combinations. I don't know how much I, the personnel really can be impacted um, with two players already being out. But right. yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that the the Kings can, and I think that they might at least shuffle some things a bit um, from what we've seen. And I, you told me yes or no, and now I'm going off. On, no, that's, that's not an answer, that's but fine. <laughs> from what we've seen, the Kings like to keep two players together and change the third guy. I think we're going to see some of that for game four. Yeah. I, my answer is yes as well. And um on the pregame show yesterday, I spent a lot of time pulling audio from Todd McClellan and some of the players that basically said that, you know, we, we have to do everything that they said today, everything we've talked about. We have to do what we do. We have to play to our identity, play to our structure, etc. Um, however, having said that, um, I think what we saw this year was a number of different line combinations at various points of the year being more or less effective at playing to that structure. So, for example... 48, uh, 46, and 34 at one point in the season were the line that had played the most minutes together um, due to injury, COVID, what have you. I'm not proposing that you necessarily reunite that line because, as we said earlier, the 23, 48, 46 variant of that line was tremendously successful in the minutes that they had. But, you know... Kempe and Dino and Moore had a, or I guess it was Kempe, Dino and Arvidsson. Or it was Kempe, Dino and I follow. There you actually. go. There yeah. you go. So there have been, again, variants of line combinations that have been successful at maintaining that structure. I would be mildly concerned if there were no changes to start game four. I think I would agree. And I think that there will be, at least in, in some capacity, whether they're drastic. I, I don't think they're going to be drastic. You know, for those at home, you know, taking Great. the players, <laughs> empty board, putting these miscellaneous. I don't think that's going to happen. That just hasn't been how the Kings have done it this year. Um, but I do think, you know, to your point, there there are some familiar combinations that could be made. And those don't require a drastic shuffle of the deck. It could be one guy up, one guy down, one guy here, one guy there. You could have a different look that's still familiar. And I think that's more likely to be the case. Yeah, Jack, you were about to say something, sorry. Uh, no, you guys, you guys nailed it. Uh, there's going to be changes. You know, I, I, I agree with everything that uh, both of you have said. Let's talk about uh, one of the positives. Um, Jack, the player that you suggested to Zach might win the uh, Unsung Hero Award. Now, that player didn't win it. 
um, it went to the player that Zach and I both thought would win it. So big old pat on our backs. Although I actually think you were spot on, and that's Oli Mata. Um, Oli Mata, I think, has had a pretty good series. Yeah, I mean, he's someone that, you know, game one was was in the press box with us. He was the seventh defenseman and quickly jolted into the lineup with, uh, you know, Dowdy out early and then obviously a uh, Sean Walker ACL-MCL tear. And and obviously we know the history of uh, the continued injuries on the blue line for the Kings. And he's been a a mainstay within the Kings lineup ever since. And I think someone who's... um, vastly improved throughout the year given the age of of what you you know don't consider a time to to be improving within your game so um you know he's he's been consistent he's been someone that has been relied upon it and he's won stanley cups as well so uh, at least one i I believe just one but uh or no back to back two um with uh with pittsburgh and so he has the experience he knows what it takes to to win series and and you know the personnel and the, the style of play and you know he, he's uh he's a guy that you know with a young defensive group that the kings have right now and in multiple rookies um is you know going to be relied upon to be able to um, mentor, explain, show how you know things work in the playoffs, and, and someone who's um, been a, a trustworthy man on the back end. What I like about Olimata is I'm looking at his game one and his game two stat line, and the only difference it was zeros across the board, basically every category. Game one he played 20 shifts for 1520. Game two he played 19 shifts for 1451. <laughs> so basically the only difference between those two games was that he played one more shift in game one than he did in game two. He played the exact same game in a 4-3 win that he did in a 6-0 loss. Wasn't involved in a goal either way. He just played, you know, holy Mata hockey. He was solid. He was a great third-pairing defenseman in those situations. Helped a guy like Jordan Spence, who hasn't looked out of place in his first playoff action, and that's what you want from Ole Mata, right? He's, it's what we talked about when we did the Team Awards podcast, and it's what Jack inspired us to talk about is he just plays his game and he and he's just fine the the narrative or the storyline that i'm really thrilled not to have like it just doesn't exist i haven't seen it yet is that this team is struggling because of youth and inexperience uh even with all the young players in the lineup that is not the storyline and nor should it be and uh, i think that's really encouraging that it's just not even i mean and it, and it could be right it would be a very easy narrative to craft of oh you know the oilers have all these great players and the kings come in with a blend of experienced veterans and fresh-faced youngsters i mean what with velarde and kupari i think we're what at 10 11 because cal peterson as well okay there you go 11 players that have made their their stanley cup playoff debut yeah just as we drew up at the beginning right (laughs) Right. um but but jack i mean how encouraging should it be for fans? Like, never mind the team, but for fans, I think it's great to realize that there's, you know, at the end of the season, Jim said that this was a development year, but also a competitive year. And yep. and they've done, they are continuing to balance those two goals. Yeah, I mean, and Jim's exactly right. And the maturation that we've seen from the time that so many of these young guys have stepped into the lineup in whatever scenario that they've been asked to to, to fill in uh, has been impressive all year long. And for you to, to bring up the, the, the reality that, you know, the reason that the Kings are down two one in the series isn't because of youth and inexperience in terms of 
you know, them being overwhelmed and, and making these obvious mistakes and being too young for a, a playoff run, you know, that's not the case, which is a great thing, not only for the case for the Kings to, to come back and win this series, but in the, in the long scope of things for these guys to be comfortable with the situation they're in, to learn from whatever happens the rest of the playoffs and to be able to take that into an off season and continue to build for a bigger picture. I thought that Todd said it really well in Edmonton um, talking about the bigger picture. And he said like, yeah, like this is great experience for our guys. And these guys are going to be learning, gaining experience every game, but we're also here to win. Like they're not just here to make up the numbers, to, to make the math add up to 16. You know, they're trying to win these games. They've shown that they can win a game in this series, which was game one. Um, So they can kind of run parallel paths, gaining experience that is necessary, but also competing to win. And that's kind of how the team's viewing it. Well, obviously, we want them to win game four and uh, extend this series as long as humanly possible. Well, we want them to win it, never mind extend it as long as, long as possible. Uh, but they have uh, they have their work cut out for them. Hopefully, they get to it tomorrow night or tonight by the time you're listening to this, perhaps. Zach, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Jack, thank you for joining us. Uh, all, as always, and uh, maybe we'll let you sit next to us tomorrow. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. We'll see. All right. Thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>